and welcome to this special Low Vision edition of the Loxu podcast with me, Zoe Richmond, Clinical Director for Loxu. As listeners will already be aware, Loxu, working with our optical sector partners and experts within local optical committees, one of the things that we do is co-develop care pathways for local implementation. And Loxu recently refreshed and published our Low Vision resources and promoted them to LOCs. I'm delighted to welcome two special guests, Dr. Louise Gao and Rukaya Anwar, both clinical leaders and portfolio career optometrists with a specialist interest in low vision. Rukaya, welcome. You led on the development of the new LOXU low vision pathway. Can you tell me a little bit more about the new resources and what's available for LOCs? Thank you, Zoe, and thank you for having me here with you today. I think it's really important to recognise that LOXU had already developed a fantastic suite of low vision resources before um, I joined this project. But it was quite clear to see that the resources needed a little bit of updating, especially in a post-pandemic setting. As part of my role working with LOXU, we designed a pathway that we wanted to be patient-centric, focusing on accessibility. um, And so therefore, we anticipated that this pathway will be easy to understand, commissioned widely and implemented very easily in primary care, especially for the benefit of our patients. So the new refreshed resources include a very detailed yet simple, easy low vision pathway flowchart diagram. So this is a lovely pathway diagram that we've got on one A4 piece of paper that a practitioner or an individual can have and refer to throughout the day or as they're sort of familiarizing themselves with the pathway. To complement this flowchart, we also developed an in-depth document describing exactly what that pathway entails. So this document serves as a guideline document um, and it elaborates on the pathway a little bit further, providing top tips and pearls of wisdom along the way. In addition to all of this, we thought it'd be a great idea to actually come up with a list of equipment or aids that perhaps may be needed to start off if you wish to provide a low vision service in practice. So the list, we were very mindful of this. We made sure we collaborated with colleagues, subject matter experts, and we designed and came up with this list that has aids that are easy to uh, easy to order into practice, easy to supply to patients. In addition to all of this, which is already quite a bit of work, we wrote a proposal document which was aimed towards commissioners, also aimed as a document for individuals to read, practitioners to read, or any individuals who's interested in the subject. And this document sets the scene as to what low vision currently looks like in the UK, the different pathways that have already been implemented, and a call of action to improve the services further. To complement the suite of resources we developed for practitioners and for professionals, we also targeted two case studies, one that was patient-centered and one that was describing the services that are currently running all over England, focusing on services in the north. Essentially, that is the complete list of resources that we've got so far, which has been really exciting to work on, but we couldn't have done any of this work without the fantastic contributions of the multidisciplinary group of subject expert matters, the really hard work and the support of the LOCs, as well as the patients that have been supported throughout these pathways. Thank you, Rukaya. And yes, so you brought together um, an excellent um, expert group and collaborated widely to produce some excellent resources. I know that Gloucestershire LOC have recently launched earlier this month, for example, their low vision pilot, and they'll be leaning on those resources that you've developed so they can deliver in local practice. And they're also got a focus on domiciliary care in their pilot. So I'm very interested to, to learn a little bit more from them in due course and thank you for that introduction. Louise, thank you so much for joining us today. You've had such a long career in optics working in primary care, domiciliary and the specialist care settings. 
What is it that attracted you to low vision and especially specialising in low vision support for people with learning disability? I've worked for many years in primary eye care, thoroughly enjoyed my career in primary eye care, but I embarked on a master's, clinical optometry master's at City University, and as part of that, I did the low vision module. And then I did my research in low vision and realised just how fabulous low vision is. And I think my perception of low vision from university days was very much ray diagrams and uh, and magnifiers, and not realising just how much more there is to low vision, how much you can help people. And I think, you know, my skill set is not particularly in the commercial areas of optometry. So when I started in low vision, I realized that, you know, you meet so many different people. Every every day is different. Every, every situation is different. Every patient is different. And you come away from a low vision clinic feeling fulfilled. You feel like you've done something really positive for the day. Um, and and it's, it's quite addictive, I think, in that respect. And then I started working at the Institute of Optometry and I met a young patient there, a little boy who had quite high functioning autism and I realized just how difficult it was for him to access the eye care you know just getting him into the consulting room was was a mammoth task and and it was distressing for him and his mum and it made me think you know how can you make eye care easier for people with learning disabilities and and autism and so then I embarked on an optometry doctorate through LSBU and the institute and I got really interested in in learning disabilities and eye care and we know that children with learning disabilities are 28 times more likely to have sight loss and adults 10 times more likely to have sight loss. So the two aspects, these these specialist areas that I've become interested in, you know, knit together absolutely beautifully. And it's just, yeah, every day is different and I love it. Louise, thanks for that. And I can I can absolutely connect with what you're saying there. So as a, an optometrist that practiced, I'm no longer in practice now, but when I was in practice, I was practicing in Teesside and we were lucky enough to have a commissioned service to deliver low vision support in practice. Not to the level that both yourself and Rukhaya deliver low vision support, but it, it allowed me to really spend time with patients that needed support. And that's and it's and it's so rewarding. Um, and it's yeah. partly because you've got that time with the individual. You've got to get to know them. You, you're asking them to be quite vulnerable, really, because you're, you're going straight to, to talk about the problems that you're having and how that you can co-design a solution for them. So um, it absolutely, it's a really rewarding part of my role. And I was well supported by a multi-professional team, the ECHLOs from the local hospital. A little bit down the road, we had a dispensing opposition that specialised in low vision sport. And he, he you know, he supported all the practitioners in the area provide his support and expertise to mentors just so we can support all our patients better and I think we sometimes concentrate too much on the people that have um, sight loss and that that end of the spectrum whereas actually on a day-to-day basis we have people in our practices that can benefit from some level of low vision support. Yeah absolutely I think there's a a group of of patients that are registrable as having sight loss or severely sight impaired but there's a huge range of patients that fall just below the driving standard up to the criteria for registration and actually arguably some people that are still within the driving standard whose quality of life and activities and work and, and emotional stability is seriously affected by their their 
um, eye condition. And there's a huge amount in low vision we can do for those patients. And sometimes it's something as simple as talking about lighting, um, talking about how they can adapt their mobile phones and their devices. They're, you know, maybe uh, switching across to a, an e-reader rather than trying to, to, to manage ordinary books. Um, and that can all be done in, in the high street really easily, even if you haven't got a low vision contract. Rikaya, you've, you've had lots of experience, haven't you, in delivering low vision support um, services. Did you, how's that been for you? So my experience with um, providing low vision services started about three years ago now um, in the very early days of the pandemic when I was sat on the sofa thinking we're all out of work there's nowhere for us to be Um, and it's something I'd always been interested in throughout university just never really had a chance to sort of fully embrace it. Um, So there was an opportunity for me to um, join the University of the West of England as um, a clinic supervisor. And funnily enough, they were looking for a low vision clinic supervisor, which worked perfectly well for me. Um, So I think the first day on the job, I thought, gosh, this is amazing. This is exactly what I wanted to do for a very long time. And I've now got the opportunity to do it. Um, And I think I just fully took on the role and embraced it and really, really thrived in the role. We had a great setup there whereby I would, um, with the students, of course, conduct the low vision assessment or a follow up. Next door, we had a rehabilitation officer. So it was fantastic having that pathway implemented right next door to you rather than sending them off to a resource centre waiting another two, three weeks for them to get the support that they need. And it was so valuable having the students see that this is how the service works. Integration is key working with other disciplines and you know people from other professional backgrounds and settings we all have the same goals we want to look after our patients we want to make sure that their independence is maintained the quality of life stays the same and doesn't continue to decrease as the low vision um sort of evolves or their sight loss evolves over time um following on from that i then started a role with Gloucestershire hospitals um, and I was working in the low vision clinics there um, and that then led to my role at Bristol Eye Hospital where I was sort of doing perhaps about a day a month in the low vision clinics and what really shocked me there was how long the waiting list was Um, so we had patients being referred in to the hospital their referral was around two years ago Um, and in certain cases it was really sad but you make that contact with the patient or the family and they're no longer there and you sort of think this person's last few moments or months of life they didn't really have the support that they truly needed Um, And from that, I then put myself forward um, for the low vision um, training lead role in HIW, so that's Health Education and Improvement Wales. My role at HIW involves developing training resources and materials so that we can train our optometrists and dispensing opticians to provide the low vision service wells there. And this resonates with me as a practitioner who's worked in Gloucestershire and also works in Wales. This new low vision service is fantastic. And often we had patients on the border that would say, oh, you know, my neighbour or, you know, a neighbour's friend or family member lives across the border and they've got this fantastic service. They're seen within two weeks. And you sort of think, oh, gosh, no, we don't have any of that. We've got something else. It's not the same. Um, so it's it's really lovely to see that this has been embraced across the board. It's something that people are interested in and they are following their passions. But I think my low vision journey, similar to Louise's, just continuously evolved over time. And I don't think I'll let go of it anytime soon because it's absolutely something that I love. 
it's lovely to hear your passion. And you made such an important point there, didn't you, about the, you know, sometimes there's long waits to get into the hospital eye service. And it, it might be the absolutely appropriate care setting for somebody with complex needs, but that doesn't stop us in primary care from delivering some sort of low vision support and, and starting that journey so that the individual, if they have a long wait, feels supported whilst they're waiting. And there's absolutely something that we can be doing in primary care. And the Loxley Low Vision Pathway points to that. It It is to complement what's already there. It's not to replace and we, we recognize that actually in primary care we can't necessarily deliver it all but we can work in partnership and collaborate to make sure that that individual is well supported and able to access the care that they need so that, i think that you made some really important points there thank you Look, so in partnership with WOPEC, have designed a specialist low vision module, um, and this includes a short introduction to the new low vision pathway that LOXO have developed. This is aimed at practitioners and it allows them to revisit their core competencies in low vision. But Louise, you've developed some resources for practice teams. Can you tell me a little bit more about these resources and how practitioners might make them available to their staff? Yes, of course. At RNIB, we are aware that the uh, low vision services across the UK are quite fragmented. There are areas like Wales that, you know, really have a, a, a very thorough system and everyone receives very similar service wherever, wherever they are in, in Wales and Scotland uh, developing that. But particularly in England, there's a, a fragmentation of services. So we've worked across the sector to develop a low vision quality framework, again, aimed at commissioners looking at how they can commission what a good service looks like. And we were aware as a result of that, that there's actually very little training for the whole team within a practice Um, and if you're going to be providing a low vision service everyone in the practice is involved in that from the person who greets them at the front door to the person who sees them in the consulting room and dispenses their glasses afterwards. We've developed three-tier training. The first tier training, our level one uh, low vision training, is aimed at everyone in the practice, and it's the basics of low vision, low vision services, and that multidisciplinary approach that you were talking about. And that's so important that the low vision service is integrated with what else is available in the local area. So whether that's social services, whether that's a local society, lunch clubs, all sorts of different things that can support people through that the the situation that they're in. The training that we've uh, developed, they're online modules. There's three of them. The first two are very much available to to everyone in the practice. The third module is a little bit more in-depth optically, but we've had some very good feedback from optical assistants around the third module too. So I'd encourage everyone to to try all of them. um, And I'm sure that they'll find them easy to, to follow and easy to do. You can chip away at it so you don't have to do it all in one go. We think it takes around about two hours in total and it's all online and it's all free and then we've developed a level two training which will be launched later this year and that's aimed at optometrists and dispensing opticians and orthoptists that want to to provide low vision services and it's a little bit more in depth around how is sort of the how-to rather than the understanding side of things and hopefully everyone will find that interesting and useful and it works beautifully alongside the LOXU pathway and the WOPEC modules. It's not a certificate in low vision, it's aimed at supporting people to produce their portfolio perhaps for a certificate course, but generally just to upskill themselves and understand that low vision is is more than, than ray diagrams. It's learning about all these other services. 
learning about how to adapt your practice to make it accessible for um, people with sight loss. And in particular, from the, you know, the front desk area, uh, understanding how the process of booking an appointment, receiving reminders, receiving reports, all of that, your website needs to be accessible for people with sight loss. That's quite daunting if you if you haven't had any training in that. But this will give you a step by step guide, plus lots and lots of resources and links um, to make it easy for you to find that information. I think that's absolutely excellent. I mean, there's absolutely a gap there, isn't there, to, to, to support the staff in practice. And we very often leave it to the practice teams to do that. So to have something that has that consistency and is so accessible in the way that you've described it is, 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 is really excellent. How can our um, listeners find out a little bit more about that and access the, that resource and make it available to their staff? We have a, a mailbox that is for eye care professionals um, at RNIB. So it's iCare.professionals at rnib.org.uk. If you email that inbox, it's available there now. We will be launching it more publicly later on, and it will be on our website very, very shortly. So searching for our professionals section on our website, there's information there too. I think, you know, just going on to the RNIB website and sending a message through our helpline, if all else fails, you'll be able to find us that way. We'll have more uh, publicity later in the year and it will be advertised on the GOC website. It's all CPD approved. So that's another way of finding us. Excellent. Thank you for that, Louise. And obviously, Loxley will support you in cascading that information. We'll make sure, we'll make sure that the LOCs are aware when, when it's more readily available. When we spoke a couple of months back, you were also talking about some resources that you've got plans to develop or a different way of working, creating a network of low vision practitioners. So that, so really at the other end of that spectrum, for those people that are already very well involved with low vision support services, but actually you were talking about plans to how, how you might network them and bring them together. Can you, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yes, yeah, sure. That, so that's our level three training. And it's not really training, it's more of a network. And we, we've, we've had a low vision peer discussion group for many, many years, over 10 years. And um, one of the positive outcomes of COVID was that we brought that online. And it's meant that instead of being a London based low vision peer review, it's become a, a national sort of UK wide peer review, which is wonderful. But beyond that, we're just aware that there's not a lot of C- CPD opportunities for people who are already involved, you know, in in low vision and have been doing that for many years. So we've developed a journal club um, to discuss uh, research articles and to share research, disseminate research. Um, That will be starting later this year. We also have a newsletter for people who are working in low vision to keep you up to date with the latest tech that's coming out. And each newsletter will have an organisation highlight. So, for instance, this time we're we're talking to Gateshead um, Low Vision Service on our newsletter and uh, a practitioner, you know, that can give us a top tip to share with everyone. In this episode, we've got Mary Bairstow um, talking to us about her her favourite uh, gadgets and devices in low vision. So the idea is to create this lovely network so that we can support each other and learn from each other. And that network also includes rehab workers, orthoptists, ECLOs. So it creates that lovely mix of those interdisciplinary services that, that we were talking about earlier too. RNIB are, are, are passionate about working 
all the way across the sector. So everything that we've developed, we've developed with practitioners, with patients, uh, subject matter experts, and all of the major organisations, all the colleges, including the orthoptist colleges and, and anyone that's working within this sector. That makes all the difference because everyone brings to the table something different and something interesting. So hopefully that network will will be of interest to anyone who's working in low vision. And even if you're starting early early stages of, of low vision, then you can learn from more experienced practitioners. I think just to add to that, Louise, I am part of that peer um, review discussion group and it's absolutely fantastic to have a family of um, people and individuals who absolutely love low vision and share your passions and drive to um, look after those patients and to learn and evolve over time, um, depending on what research comes out. So it's it's really refreshing to see that these support groups are developing. There is a network for us to communicate with one another. I've recently joined the WhatsApp group. So that's been really, really helpful for me to actually learn from colleagues. I've learned a few tips and tricks off there. So it's very, very exciting. And I'm I'm very glad to be a part of it. I'm sure others will be too. Oh, that's good to hear. And it, you know, I mean, I started it many years ago for that very very reason because it, you can feel very isolated and and you do come across patients with all sorts of challenges you know like I said earlier every patient is different and they 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 come in with all sorts of different challenges and what you might not know someone else in that network almost certainly does and it's really interesting when you pose a question in those sorts of forums and people come come back with all sorts of technology options and low vision device options and And the other thing that really is helpful is when a patient comes in with a broken spec mounted telescope and you haven't got, they're not made anymore and you'll message out frantically and someone will say, in my cupboard, I've got this. So it is, it's like a big family. It's a big support network and it really does make the job much easier. It absolutely sounds like that's going to flourish. I mean, as practitioners, we know we we, we learn every day. And, you know, if we network in that way, we're going to learn from one another and support one another. That sounds excellent. In today's podcast, we've heard from two optometrists with portfolio careers in optics, working in roles that allow them to embrace their specialist interests. So thank you, Rakaia and Louise, for sharing your experiences and your expertise with us today. I'm going to leave you with the final words. If you were going to provide a top tip or top tips to an optometrist or dispensing optician wanting to pursue a specialist interest in low vision services, what are your top tips for them? Louise? I think my top tip is to make sure you know what is available in your area to support your patients and make direct links with those other people in your area. Because as an optometrist, you know all about the optics of the magnifiers and you can prescribe and and that's all fine. But actually linking people up with the support in their area learn you know maybe cookery courses for people with visual impairment maybe it's the sensory needs team that you need to link them with if you don't know the people behind those services then it makes it much harder to be able to holistically support your patients and that's what makes the job fulfilling when you know that you're sending someone out with the direct links with organizations that can support them once they've left your consulting room I agree with Louise's comments there I think definitely speaking up, speaking to your local optical committees, be aware of what services have already been commissioned previously. And if not, raise your hand and say, this is what our patients need. 
Another thing I definitely encourage practitioners to do is to familiarize themselves with the low vision service, the resources that are available for their training, having a look at the LOXA website, looking at that pathway flow chart and thinking, can I really deliver this in a practice easily? And the answer, of course, is yes. In addition to that, I think it's really important to identify where their weaknesses are and if they need additional training, again, to go and obtain that additional training. But I think definitely don't be shy. Don't hide in a corner. Put yourself out there. And I think another final tip is that resource pack that you mentioned, Louise, having that directory of services is really, really helpful. Actually, quite interestingly, one of the uh, pieces of coursework that we had to do in our professional certificate of low vision was to develop a resource pack. And I found that super helpful and I still use it today. So definitely, if you've got the time for it, please give it a go. Excellent. Thanks, Bill. Some great top tips for our listeners there. So thanks again for joining me, Dr. Louise Gao and Rukaya Anwar. Thank you so much. Thank you for having Thank you. You can find out more about the work of Loxu and our care pathways on our website, loxu.co.uk. And you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. To make sure you don't miss out on the next Loxu podcast, please press the subscribe button now.